is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Talking Dead. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 413, recorded on Monday, December 31st, 2018. It is the end of the year. Isn't that exciting? Uh, used to be. <laughs> used to be, yeah. Not so much anymore. <laughs> no. But um, it's it's fun. Happy New Year, everyone. And surprise, New Year's Day podcast, because I'm not going to put this out until tomorrow. Oh, well, good. So it's both a New Year's Eve and a New Year's Day podcast. This is. podcast is going to span multiple years. This one episode. That's amazing, actually. That's it really, really fun. We've never done that before. I don't think we've ever done a January 1st podcast release. Uh, nope. I mean, it's come close, probably, but this is exciting. So Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you have a great time tonight. In fact, there are people, you know, somewhere in the world that are, if not already, celebrating the new year. Uh, about to. Um, yeah. So, it's coming. Um, it's it coming is. this way. Midnight. It, it, <laughs> it is coming this way, but those folks in New Zealand may have already had it uh, or, or pretty close. Again, I don't know exactly what the time difference is, but if you're already in 2019, uh, enjoy the future. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> it is fun. And let me know who wins the hockey games later today because I really want to know. Uh, okay. So this is a podcast about The Walking Dead, but there isn't going to be very much Walking Dead content on here today, just to let you know. What we are going to have, though, is a couple of movie reviews. There, you know, last week we started talking about recording today or, or around this time, and I thought, let's do a New Year's Eve movie review. And so I went out and found a movie that had something, you know, loosely to do with New Year's Eve, and then decided that uh, we'd also review another film that was recommended by a listener, which I'll get into in a minute. So we've got two movie reviews to do today, yep. just kind of for fun, and why not, I figured. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good one. Thanks, man. I, I thought about doing two like New Year's-related movies, but then I started looking at the list of them and thought, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch oh, that. Oh, God, no. Yeah, no. Christmas is easier to find movies. Uh, Valentine's Day... It's tougher, but it's possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, Groundhog Day, you can find a good movie about that. Hey, no problem, yeah. Yeah, no problem there. Thanksgiving, lots of good movies. Uh, New Year's, not really. Not, not as many, not as many. But we did find one, and, uh, you know, I think we'll have some things to say about it. Before we do those, though, um, I wanted to bring up a note that Don in Wisconsin sent in to me and asked me to forward to you, Jason, regarding a Battlestar Galactica podcast that yeah. he wanted you to listen to. So I have not had the pleasure of listening to it yet, but I think you did. You mentioned it to me on, uh, you sent me a Skype text last night at some point, probably at around nine or 10 o'clock mm -hmm. around then. And uh, I hadn't heard of, this is a new podcast. So it's a, a the Battlestar Galactica cast. Uh, it's a good name. Trisha Hel it's a very good name. Yeah. Trisha Helfer, and I forget the gentleman's name that's with her. I Damn it. I'll have to look that up. All right. Um, anyway, uh, so this is, I haven't, I said fuck yeah is basically my response. I'm totally into this, and I uh, started listening to the first episode of the podcast, and I started, uh, it's, a, it's an episode-by-episode episode recap of the 
Battlestar Galactica reimagined series. So starting from the uh, from the miniseries that aired in 2003 all the way through the end of the series, which uh, ended uh, a number of years later. I don't know what year. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I've been, you know, as you know, I like to watch and rewatch uh, television shows series every every now and again. And it's been a few years since I've seen Battlestar Galactica. I've seen the whole series uh, a few times now, probably three times in total, and I'm ready for another rewatching. So uh, having a podcast about it, uh, starring one of the stars of the show, which is going to give inf- inside information, uh, is right up my alley. So uh, I'm, I'm totally into it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do exactly uh, what the the, sh- the podcast wants you to do is watch the episode and then listen to the podcast and then watch the next episode and listen to that episode of the podcast. And I'm totally going to do that. That sounds good. It's a, and it's uh so far, uh, I really like the podcast. It's uh, very informative, except that you have to get used to the fact that Trisha Helfer just calls people like, uh, Ed, right. She's like, Oh yeah. Ed was there and he's on board and everything's like, no, Edward James almost. I don't know Ed. I know Edward James almost. Yeah, right? fair enough. So I have to I have to get over that hurdle because they're both talking about you know people they know, which is fantastic on one level, but on another level, it's like Ed, who the fuck is Ed? <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll get used to that though, right? You'll get to know people by their just their first names, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I still can't get I still can't get over people calling Martin Scorsese Marty. I can't, I can't do it. Like, uh, uh, what's his name? I am it. I've he heard was, that uh, before. I've heard him. I think he goes by Marty in his personal life. So yeah. yeah, so it drives me crazy. It's like I don't know Marty. Like I'm, I'm, you know, don't call him Marty to me. I don't know who Marty is. Sure, <laughs> but uh, so I'm so far. I'm really enjoying it. And Trisha Helfer. Sorry to spoil the first episode of the podcast, but uh, in the first ten minutes, she says "Boomers a Cylon." Oh, right? wow! <laughs> in the first ten minutes of the episode, so I'm spoiling a podcast. That spoiled Battlestar Galactica. How's that for meta? Yeah, very, very meta. And <laughs> no longer on you, I guess. Yeah, no longer on me. I've got Trisha Helfer backing me up. All right, very good. Now, Don said there's a Walking Dead connection, or is, th- or is that what it is? It's more of a connection to you. I So far, there's no Walking Dead connection. Okay. Except that uh, I remember uh, thinking that uh, a zombie television show was this is early, early, early on. This was even before we started this podcast when we're doing uh, Breakfast for Geeks or no, well, it was Renerd, mm-hmm. uh, the Renerd podcast, where I thought because of Battlestar Galactica that the world was ready for a zombie television show okay. because Battlestar Galactica basically is a zombie television show. End of the world. Everybody has to, you know, give up on their regular society. They're in a ragtag band of people just trying to eke out a survival uh, by running away from this uh, imminent threat that is not human and relentless. Mm-hmm. And so it's essentially the same thing. It's, it's sci-fi zombies, essentially. Neat. So I never, I never thought about it that way, but you're right. Yeah. So uh, that's. I think that might be the the, uh, the the Walking Dead connection is that I think that they're the same kind of premise, or maybe just the fact that that Boomer's a Cylon, and you keep saying that on here, and now she said yeah. it there. So, so it, it must be fun listening to a podcast with one of well, one of the main uh, actors from the show. It is so far. Cool. 
I mean, I've only listened to 10 minutes of the uh, 10, 15 minutes of the uh, the podcast, and I've only seen about 20 minutes of the first episode. I'm trying to cram that all in this morning. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I should be able to get through it by the end of the day, both the podcast and the, the episode of the podcast and the episode. But so far, I'm right into it. They're talking about how she got involved in the show, how she was cast, uh, her thoughts about her character, uh, Caprica 6. And uh, it was, uh, it's, it's, so far, it's very interesting. Cool. Cool. Well, I'm, I don't know. Battlestar is a show that I'd, I could see myself going back to someday. There's a lot about the first season that I don't remember very well because you and I binged it over two days on a weekend once when our wives were out of town. So yep. it was a lot of information to take in all at once. And I don't think I really took it all in very well. Um, so that that's something I could rewatch someday. And now I have a podcast to go along with it. Yeah. And uh, I might even become a, a contributor if they take, you know, listener feedback and stuff. Uh I might feed back. You should do that. You'll be on the other end of the microphone for once. That'd be weird, but <laughs> I might do it. All right. Why not? If I, if I have thoughts, I might uh, jump in. Very good. Well, thanks, Don, for sending that in, as you can yeah, see. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. That was, uh, it's a good find. I would never have found it. I think it's fantastic. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, I got some other podcast recommendations I'd like to throw out there at some point. So maybe sometime... Before Walking Dead comes back, we can do an episode about that because I've been listening to a lot lately. Have I spend you? I spend you know an hour and a half on the bus every day, uh, and I tend to anytime I go anywhere, just throw on the headphones and start listening to things. And I've subscribed to a lot of new ones lately, so I'd like to share them, but not right now. We'll do a maybe a whole segment on that at some point. Fair enough. Right now, we're going to talk about our first movie of the day. And this one was recommended to us by a listener as well. A friend of the show, Adam in Texas, sent me an email a couple of weeks back that said, hey, I know you get a lot of you know movie recommendations probably, but here's one called The Night Eats the World that you should give it a give give a try to and uh, let me know what you think. So I decided that, sure, let's give it a try. We'll watch it and we'll let everyone know what we think. So we're going to talk go. about that right here. It's a 2018 film, so it's very recent, called, as I said, The Night Eats the World. It's kind of a French movie, um, French-Norwegian, and it's directed by Dominique Rocher, and here's the description from the IMDb. The morning after a party, a young man wakes up to find Paris invaded by zombies. So, <laughs> as you can see, there is a, a connection there, at least to The Walking Dead, and I don't find that a great description which we'll get into <laughs> in a minute um but one thing i wanted to note is that i said this is kind of a french movie because they it, the dialogue in this movie is sparse there's not a lot of it right and from what i understand is they shot it with the characters speaking french and then they shot all of those scenes with also with the characters also speaking english so they released a french version and then an international version that has oh. English speakers. See, that's the right way to do it. None of this dubbed crap. I think it's the right way to do it. Now, that being said, um, the main character and a character near the beginning when he's at this party before the zombie apocalypse happens, uh, I thought they kind of looked dubbed anyways um, because they probably aren't native English speakers. So they were they were speaking English, but maybe their mouths were a little bit funny oh, ADR they do that everywhere though everybody talks over them themselves right no they do I know but it, it jumped out at me at the beginning but then it 
it wasn't a problem later in the film. So at first I thought, oh man, this whole thing is dubbed, like badly dubbed, but it wasn't. It was them speaking English just, I don't know, with different mouth movements than a native English speaker, maybe. Right. Or maybe they had to cut in some of the French stuff uh, because the English versions didn't work for whatever reason. And there's probably a really bad dubbed French version uh, a scene of the French version as well. It's like, well, you know, the, the English version is so much better mm-hmm. uh, than this French version. So why don't we put in the French version and just throw the audio from the English version on top of it? Could have been, maybe. I so don't know. It's kind of a mishmash, maybe. Could I be. didn't notice. I didn't notice. It was only a problem at the beginning where, where a lot of the dialogue was, for me anyways. After that, it was it was perfectly fine. Anyways, two versions of the movie. We watched the international version. Um, the story, as far as I know, is identical to the, the original version, um, just in a different language. Um, so here we are, let's do some, some general thoughts on the film, but as anyone who's been listening for a while knows, we typically spoil movies during our reviews, so we will be doing that here as well. Um, but before we get into any serious spoilers, Jason, what did you think in general of this movie? Did you like it? I liked it. It was a kind of a slow burn, mm-hmm. which I'm uh, I'm a fan of. Uh, so I I overall I liked. I really liked the uh, the zombies. The way they were portrayed in this particular movie uh, was very interesting. It was you know your typical zombie movie, but it had a slightly you know bent version of them, which I which I really appreciated. <laughs> and bent is a good word, actually. They're very very jerky. Most of them, and sort of angular, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, and quiet. Uh quiet. I, they made some noise, but they, they weren't. They made a little clicking noises, but they didn't make the you know your typical zombie moaning noises. They were all very, very quiet. It was very, uh, it was very low key, which I which I liked. I really liked. Yeah, that was cool. They were they were interesting zombies. Dumb as a pile of hammers, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I would expect them to be. That's true. I right? mean, zombies are never geniuses, but um, yeah. I found them slightly less relentless in this movie. Um, you know, zombies on The Walking Dead are known for really, really never ending, never stopping, like coming after you. You point them in a direction and they keep going in that direction. This movie had some of that, but I thought the zombies tended to um lose interest in things wander yeah. off maybe if they were there for a while they might not be there later when you check that kind of thing i think that's more realistic you know now that i think i've i've uh, i agree with you that it's it's different than the walking dead but you know thinking back on it if uh zombies have residual memories and we do see a scene with a zombie with residual mem- memories in this movie uh we if they do have residual memories, there's just a little bit, just a seed of their humanity left. And if there's a seed of their humanity left, we don't have that long of an attention span. We get bored. We move on to other things. We're <laughs> like, true. you know what? I've been banging my head against this fucking wall for an hour. I'm going to go somewhere else and just see something else. Go bang my head against another wall for another I'm going to go hour. try another wall and right. just, you know, turn around and go somewhere else. So I think that uh, residual memories would mean that humans would act, or, you know, zombies would act like humans and get bored and go do something. I'm going for a walk. Mm-hmm. I've been stuck, you know, banging on this car for an hour. I'm, you know, I just, I need to stretch my legs here. I need to go for, you know, walk around the fountain a little bit, maybe fall in and forget to get out. I don't know. <laughs> Of course, maybe fall in, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. I think about those things all the time. I'll, you know, maybe I'll walk out, get lost in the park for a while. Who knows? Yeah. 
Actually, <laughs> uh, well, that's that's an interesting point. I liked the zombies in this too. I thought they were, um, I thought they were interesting. But I also thought the character, the main guy, is named Sam, the main character, and he is the one who wakes up in the description to find Paris invaded by zombies. Um, what I don't like about this description of the movie is that it's not about that at all. You know, yes, no. technically that happens. He wakes up and Paris is invaded by zombies, but the movie isn't concerned with Paris or the rest of the world or anything really that's happening outside of this apartment building that he's in. The whole thing is really locally focused and it's all about Sam and what he does sort of inside this apartment building, which I thought was was interesting on one hand. And I thought the guy playing Sam, whose name I don't have in front of me, was under uh, Anders, uh, Dennis Lin Lai. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I do have it in front of me, and it's just as bad as not having it in front of me. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, he was great. I thought he did a good job. He's he's on screen by himself for the majority of the film. Um, and he and it's really, really just focused on him and what he's supposed to do. And I thought he did a great job, but it's not about what's going on in Paris or the greater world at all. Yeah. So this is your typical, like, poorly written or, you know, vague spoiler that's so vague and in fact, in a way, misleading uh, description, I mean, that's so vague and misleading that you it doesn't really give you any information about the film other than it's in France. There's a young man and there are zombies. I guess that's all you need to know, though. <laughs> Change the description on IMDb. Go in and say there's a young man. There are zombies. And it takes place in France. <laughs> Would that be any better? <laughs> no. I, no, not really, because you're still hitting the three main points that they fucked up on, right? Yeah, I guess so. Guy spends a weekend alone, and there's zombies. Right. <laughs> it may or may not take place in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> may or may not. And it's longer than a weekend, so you didn't even It is longer right. than a weekend. So overall, I like this movie, too. I have some some problems with it. Uh, but I do recommend it. I think it is an interesting enough look at a guy trying to survive in the zombie apocalypse. Um, so before we spoil anything, I said I recommend it. I say go check it out and and maybe let us know what you think. But it is it's an interesting kind of one man show zombie film. Yeah, and if you're looking for a movie where the main character plays the drums and is actually a drummer. This is your movie. Yeah. Because he was playing those things. He was. And he's a musician in real life. Yeah. This guy's a, he's one of these multi-talented dudes, musician, actor, probably playwright or something like that. But uh, he was playing them, wasn't Was he ever? He looked good on the drums. He did look good. I mean, he was, uh, I, I think he was, it was hard to tell at first. I'm like, is he playing those or is he just doing a really good job? Is it just doing the hands? But then there was a scene later where he was doing a very subtle thing playing along with the tape and uh when he was playing along with the tape they kind of panned out and it showed his foot tapping in time with the bass drum in I, the tape i noticed so that like I'm, yeah i'm like that guy's totally the drummer in this and he was also uh when he was playing when he uh, one scene he was uh, very frustrated and angry and he was playing very frustrated and angrily on the drums and he was hitting the rims and you could hear the rim clicks in the in while he was playing the drums and that for me uh, brought me right into the realism of uh, of him playing the drums. It's just like, yeah, if he was playing those drums, 
as aggressively as he was doing that, he would be every once in a while he would either do a rim shot or miss or something like that, and he would hit the rim, and you could hear the clicks when he was doing it. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I it bugs me when you when you see someone on screen playing the drums and it, they're obviously faking it, or there's just no sync between the sound of the drums yeah. and what they're doing. It bugs me. Like ninety percent of the music videos of live uh, musicians playing instruments like first of all they're not plugged in and second of all the drummer's not in time with the actual music to just one of the shot of the drummer right it's like get your shit together movie or video uh creation people you know it's the drummer you know if you're gonna film a shot of the drummer playing the drums fit it in time with the music you dumbass yeah or fake people playing fake drums um sometimes the people go through great lengths to learn how to play their parts as a drummer Mm-hmm. But sometimes they don't. No, often they don't. But in this case, he looked really good. Yeah. And I think it was even uh, at first, uh, I was also thinking, did he have to learn the drums in order to do this? And then it just, it became apparent that uh, the intricacy of what he was doing was obviously, uh, obviously meant that he was a professional musician or at least a talented one mm-hmm. uh, while playing. So that was my thought. They incorporated his musician training into the movie too, not just with the drums that he played though, right? Because... um there are some scenes of him, like like I said, this is just this movie about him surviving. And so we get scenes of him just kind of doing stuff, like like yeah. keeping himself busy, right? And he's set up um, kind of musical instruments out of whatever he can find around this building, you know, bottles and things like that and uh, cheese grater that he scrapes and stuff. Yep. And there's more than one scene in the film of him just fiddling around with this stuff, kind of making his own music so he's a guy who not only figured out very quickly how to survive and what he had to do to live there safely for a while but also how to keep him keep his mind occupied and try to prevent himself from getting too lonely and going crazy so so they incorporated that musician uh bit into the into the character as well which i which i thought was pretty cool yeah it was cool um but one thing i wanted to say about that along those lines is that because this is just about him, the movie does something that I think a lot of other zombie movies don't do where it kind of skips over the immediate initial panic that we usually see in people when they wake up in the morning and suddenly there's zombies everywhere. You know, he, he gets up, he, he realizes something has gone wrong because he comes out of that bedroom and everyone who was at that party that night is now gone and there's blood everywhere. Yeah, I've and, been to that party. Oh, Only geez. replace blood with urine, but yes. Oh, <laughs> it's the <laughs> urine apocalypse. <laughs> oh, God. Um, that would be worse, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough call. Tough call. Because if there's blood on the walls, there's poop everywhere, too, because oh. when people die, they... Anyway, we don't have to go there, but... It, I don't think there's any good situation like that. I guess there's not a good one, no. Well, he comes out, and what I was going to say is he goes, it felt like in the movie, he goes straight into, like, living in the zombie apocalypse mode. He skips right over the panic, the survival, the suffering, that kind of stuff that we see in many other films, right? People don't know what to do. They they try to, like, you know, they try to, they, they do something stupid because they don't, they're unable to process kind of this new world they're living in all of a sudden, but we don't get any of that in this movie. He wakes up and we immediately go into 
got to get some food, got to make this place a little bit safe, got to figure out some systems for myself to, to stay here, go close doors, search all the other apartments, find supplies, all these sorts of things. And, the, and he just felt really, really competent in the zombie yeah. apocalypse from the get-go. Well, I think that, uh, he's, first of all, he's very laid back. Yeah. And second of all, I think he's a bit of a, a social uh, outcast. I think because he shows up to pick up his box of tapes. Right. right. That's the reason he's in this apartment building. From his ex-girlfriend, and, yeah. From his ex-girlfriend. And I got the impression, I don't know of the exact dialogue, and because I, I haven't gone back to it, and I didn't think about this until uh, you brought this point up. Uh, but I got the impression during that initial encounter with his girlfriend and her new boyfriend, uh, or whatever, man friend, uh, that he doesn't like crowds. He doesn't like people. He likes to be alone. Yeah. And so... I think that kind of leads into this thing. It's just, uh, he wakes up, he goes, I need to be, she says, you can go into that room. It's quiet. She knows being his ex-girlfriend that he likes to be alone. The tapes are in there, go in there. It's quiet. I'll be in there in a little while. And then he goes in, he finds the box of tapes. He falls asleep. He wakes up the next morning. He's just like, well, there's blood everywhere, but at least the people are gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's go find something to eat and close the door. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what he does. Um, which I thought was unusual, but I, I also kind of liked it. And I don't know if everyone, you know, all viewers would feel that way because I, I feel like it might not be all that kind of realistic, which is a word I hesitate to use when talking about zombie films. But right. I think most people would, would, there'd be a period of panic there and they'd do something dumb, likely get themselves killed. Um, but then the ones who don't are the ones who end up figuring out a way to survive at least for a little while. But he's yeah. like, you're right. He's like, man, the people are gone. All right, let's clean this place up and I can, I can hunker down here. I can search all the rest of the apartments and get some food and get what I need. And we're good to go. Yeah. First things first, we got to find a set of drums. <laughs> well, he does come across them <laughs> sort of by accident, but you're right. He does find those drums early, early in the well, movie. Maybe he's the kind of guy that fantasizes that the world ends and everybody goes away and he doesn't have to deal with humanity anymore. And he just could spend all of his life by himself. And he wakes up in the morning and there's blood everywhere. He's like, finally, my dreams have come true. Yeah, finally. This is what I wanted all <laughs> along. <laughs> you know, some people, uh, we've seen this in The Walking Dead, where some people, you know, live their lives and the zombie apocalypse happens and then they become their true selves, their evil selves, but they become their true selves because they've uh, they've always had this aspect to their personality that was suppressed until the zombie apocalypse happened and they could finally express them, their true selves to the world. Mm -hmm. And it turns them into, you know, megalomaniac assholes. Yeah. Maybe this guy, his true self is everybody fucks off. I get this whole place to myself and I only have to deal with people who don't talk. And I don't like people that talk. I like people that don't talk. I'm going to capture one and I'm going to name him and he's going to be my friend and he'll never talk to me. Right. Well, we've said that about Daryl Dixon, I think, you know, he kind of, we, we used to think he was more comfortable in the zombie apocalypse than he was pre-zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, and that's maybe a sort of what Sam is going for here. But in the case of Sam, we really focus on his ability to get shit done by himself, find what he yeah. needs. And then, and then really the movie's kind of ultimately about his loneliness more than anything, because maybe he did want this all along or he just wanted some peace and quiet, but he ends up 
being lonely. In the yeah. End. Maybe he imagined himself with a dog, and he didn't get a dog. So he, you know, met a person instead. Well, but she died, so it's okay. There, there's a cat. He tried to get a cat. Yeah, he tried to get a cat. But I wasn't sure at the time whether he was going to eat the cat or he was going to just be friends with the cat. <laughs> I think he was trying to be friends with the cat, but you never I think know. So? I, I, I mean, I like cats, but in the zombie apocalypse, if I was stuck in a, bu- a building with limited supplies, I might eat the cat. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, maybe he was. I, I don't know. Um, but he tried his hardest to get that cat, but didn't in the end. Um, I was hoping he was wanted to be friends with it, but then of course yeah, he too. just another mouth to feed too. So exactly, it's it's, it's a problem, right? I mean, yeah. you only have so many cans of tuna to go around. It's true, and you should probably save them for yourself if you're trying to stay alive. Yeah. Um, what did you, the movie was full of details of him of, of the little things he was doing? You know, while he was gathering supplies, he was he was also doing things like um, uh, marking off days on a window that he'd smeared something on so he could sort of write yep. on it. He, you see him find a leather jacket, and you realize, oh, he's like leather jacket. That's good for protection. People can't bite through leather so easily. Um, he, you know, all the numbered keys on the walls when he's going to look for access to the other apartments in this building. Um, I feel like this guy has seen a lot of zombie movies. <laughs> Maybe he really sort of knows Maybe. what to do, but also in this film, just a lot of good detail. Um, inventorying the food he has, you know, we see him doing that. And while I think this is an interesting approach, I found it a little tedious at times. Some of the sort of mundane things that he was doing, marking the days off, collecting all the rainwater on the roof too. You know, he's yep. got every single container he can find set up on the roof of the building to collect rainwater. Great idea. But to me, after a little while, I f- it felt a little mundane. The movie took a bit of time to sort of get going and get into something other than just him figuring out ways to keep himself alive. Yeah, I was fine with it, though. I mean, except for that the... the- you know, the glaring incongruity in his character as to why he would do that. And yet his precious box of tapes is just this fucking beat up box filled with tapes in no particular order, just thrown in the bottom. Like <laughs> if he's an organized guy, he would have organized tapes. Yeah, but they've right? been at his girlfriend's house for a while. Maybe she just chucked them around and they got all this organized and that's why he's come to get them. Nah, she doesn't give a shit about the tapes. She probably, the box is just sitting there. It's a box of tapes. It's his box of tapes. I'm just going to leave his box of tapes until he comes to get his box of tapes. Well, but that- it's anyway, it's just a little, it's a little incongruity there. It's like, is he organized or is he just to pile all the shit in the box? And I don't give a shit. And cause me, I have a bunch of stuff. I have my archives, I call them, and they're curated. They're not just a pile of crap. I mean, there are, there's, there's boxes of crap, believe me, but it's boxes of crap I don't care about, like old cables, mm-hmm. you know, and an old cordless telephone that I don't know why I don't throw it away, but it's in a box somewhere, right? Who knows? I'm, someday I may need a hard line again in my house, and if I get a hard line, man, I'm going to need a cordless phone, right? <laughs> you sure are. <laughs> it doesn't work anymore, probably. But yeah, most of the stuff that's in boxes that I like, that I care about, like my Lego, it's curated, it's organized, it's in boxes, the boxes are labeled, I have a spreadsheet with what sets are in what box. So if I need to find a particular set, I go, okay, I'm going to look for box eight. And I go down the list and I say, okay, there's box eight, I pull it out and I find the set that I'm looking for. I'm that kind of crazy. Yeah. This guy is not that kind of crazy. So the organized thing must be something that occurred to him after the world ended. 
Right. As uh, I mean, as it would. It's just that I think you'd probably see him panic for a while and not be so organized and come this close to death before he gets his shit together, which we did. Right. And then, you know, come this close to death, right? After he gets his shit together and then he does a few things that well, I, gets him into peril. Well, no, I think it's the other way around. He'd, he'd, he'd not know what to do have a near-death experience and be like, oh my God, I got to get my act together. And no, then... but this happened, it happened in uh, the opposite order in this movie. Oh, right. Because oh, he did right. get his shit together. He was organized. He didn't go through that initial panic. And then he gets himself into perilous situations where he damn near died. That's true. That's true. But there's some other influences happening there. But uh, before we just get into that, um, what I was saying is I did find this approach a little bit tedious um, after a while because I started thinking, okay, he's he's a great survivor. That's awesome. But, you know, who is he other than that? What was he like before? And we've kind of talked about it here a little bit, but I wasn't thinking that during the film. Um, you know, why was he so willing to immediately barricade himself here in this apartment, which isn't even his home, um, you know, is the, is there nobody else in his life he wants to get back to, uh, you know, these, these sort of details about the character that we don't really get in the movie that I was wondering about while I was watching it, but instead we're watching him organize food and Mark days off on the window. So right. I, I think they could have developed him a little bit more. Um, there, there was a scene later on in the movie where he does mention wondering what happened to his mom and he says she would never have survived in this, which which helped a little bit, but I think right. there could have been a little bit more of that. That's all. Yeah, well, it's hard to get backstory when you're by yourself, right? It's true, but I, unless he got the cat, if he got the cat, he could just uh, you know tell the, the his backstory. Oh, hi, my name is David, and I live at one five eight whatever street, and I'm an aspiring musician. And let me just tell you about myself. You know, there's no, there's nobody to talk to. How do you, how do you get that shit onto the screen? Well, that's what the zombie stuck in the elevator was for, right? So it's an old elevator in the building. It's got one of those gates. He manages to lock a zombie in there and he uses that zombie as a sounding board. He sits there and talks to it. Um, so, and that's where the mother comment came from as well. That's, that's the whole point of having that zombie in there so that the character has someone to talk to without having someone to talk to, if you know what I mean. That's his Wilson. That's his Wilson, exactly. Yeah, only his name is Alfred. <laughs> Close. Not that not that different, really. <laughs> yeah. So we got two or three scenes of him sitting there talking to that um to that zombie, uh, including the mother, but I but I think they could have done a little bit more with that. Right. Okay. I think. It was it turns out Alfred was his friend after all. It does. He let Alfred go, right? And then uh, Alfred went up the stairs to uh what I assume is Alfred's apartment. And then uh, Sam opened the door to Alfred's apartment. He's like, oh, shit, I live here. And he just goes into the apartment, and that's the end of it. That was a weird scene, though, don't you think? I mean, he does let him go. He follows him up the stairs, and then standing right in front of him, Alfred the zombie just turns and goes into the apartment. He doesn't attack Sam. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. It's anti-zombie behavior, but it is uh, pro-residual memory behavior. So it's it's really splitting hairs. It is, but it... (sighs) It's it's strange. I mean, it almost implies that zombies that hang around you long enough will stop trying to eat you, at least in this universe. Yeah, and that's not true. I mean, you know, it, it it in this universe it might be true, but in general, I'm thinking of cats, right? Cats are friendly, but if you die, they'll eat you. 
because they don't give a shit about you really. No. You're just the source of food and petting and litter changes is basically the entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe in this so universe. They're, they're nice to you uh, because you can do something. What have you done for me lately? I mean, I like you and everything, but God damn it, feed me right now and then change my litter or I'm going to shit on the floor. Yeah. Cats are like that. They are. Well, I don't know. Zombies, I think it's an interesting question for this universe and they didn't do anything else with it, but. It's one of those sort of loose ends that they left hanging. Yeah. Um, so to go on, I guess, from sort of him being all by himself and stuff, I did enjoy the movie a little bit more or the parts later on in the film when his actions, Sam's actions, seemed to be a little more directly responsible for his predicament. Right. Um, he starts playing the drums later on in the film and he plays the shit out of those drums as we said mm -hmm. and he ends up drawing all the zombies to the door of his building and this was kind of the beginning of the his downfall it was the start of the end for him really i think that was the point of him doing that though it wasn't just out of sheer frustration i think he wanted to draw the zombies because he we had a scene uh, a little bit earlier where he tried to kill himself sort of he had you know he put the shotgun to his under his chin with his finger on the trigger and then fell asleep and then as his as he nodded his head fell off the shotgun and it went off and it's like fuck that was like <laughs> that close was close one. yeah yeah uh so that's one thing so i think that uh because he opened the door and plays that plays the drums right so he's trying the intent was to draw the zombies i think he wanted to wanted to end it at that point but what couldn't bring himself to kill himself so he needed to be you know, suicide by zombie. Yeah, I guess so. But they never even get in the building, right? Well, not at no. that moment. They do a little bit later. That's he's too chicken shit to kill himself. Even if he's trying to kill himself by zombie, he's he's still too he's still too chicken shit. Yeah, yeah. Too much to live for. Too many cats out there that he could befriend and or eat. <laughs> one or the, one or the other. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, the other before we talk about the very end of the film, the other thing we haven't brought up yet is that somebody else does show up in this film yeah. and For a it's a woman and here's here's the way it plays out he's uh it's night he's in bed and he hears someone coming so he shoots his shotgun through the door and shoots her fills her sort of abdomen with shotgun pellets yeah. uh brings her in and she survives or does yeah. she <laughs> or does she that's an interesting point i didn't think about that no, I, I don't think there's, uh, I, I don't think she survived that shot. I think everything that happens with her is him imagining it, him wishing she survived, but she dies from that shotgun blast on that bed because why would okay. she just die later on? Cause she does. She does. Right. She, I, she, I didn't catch that. She, Stupid me. She's See not what happens when I don't watch a movie five times. <laughs> you need to watch four more times, obviously. <laughs> right. That injury to me didn't look survivable. I mean, not without modern medicine. Uh, it would be, it would get infected, probably. Uh, it might be survivable, depending on, like, because he was pretty far away, and he sawed off that shotgun by that point, right? So it was a mm -hmm. very short uh, shotgun, which meant the focus of the pellets was not very, it was wouldn't be very focused. So a dispersed pellet spray through a doorway Probably wouldn't the, the number of pellets she had in her abdomen would not be the case. 
Like there would, she would probably hit by a few of these things, which probably could be survivable depending on where, because they might not have gone very deep after going through a door, uh, depending on a whole bunch of stuff. But, uh, I think it could have been survived, but not with the, with the grouping of mm-hmm. what they showed on her uh, abdomen. I kind of feel the same way. It's a, it's a survivable injury sort of in the real world and especially with proper medical attention. Um, but in the zombie apocalypse and with the number of wounds we saw on her, I'm not so sure. Um, that scene though, I think they did pretty well. They set it up earlier in the film where he does have a dream about somebody outside his door and then the zombies break in and, and they eat him and then he wakes up from his dream. Same, same thing happens when she approaches, he wakes up in the night, same bed, same room, same door. And so he prematurely shoots through the door and this time it's a living person, um, instead of zombies. But I, it was never, um, so that was a little unclear at first. Oh, is he dreaming this again? No, he's not. But then for me, it was never really a big question about whether she was alive or not. I guess I thought for a little while, oh, she survived, but it seemed like she was dying in that bed. And then next scene, there they are and she's fine and everything's good. But later on, she's back dead in the bed. So I don't think there's any question as to whether she died right then and there. And he just imagined that. And that's kind of what, again, made him, it emphasized his loneliness, made him go a little bit crazy and has made him what wanted to, to end it all. So, yeah. Okay. Um, well, that makes, that makes much more sense than, uh, her just dying for some reason, yeah, which is what happened in my head. There was no explanation for her just dying for some reason. She came, she was very important to him. Um, she had a lot of poignant things to say and then she's gone. But I was, uh, apparently, uh, through the rest of the movie, I was still thinking about the drumming because I focused like laser focused right in on that and analyzed the shit out of it, but, uh, missed a major fucking plot point here. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I'll say about her, um, do you have her name in front of you? The character's name? Sarah. Sarah, right. The only thing I'll say about Sarah is that as soon as she showed up, I actually kind of found her a little bit more interesting than Sam (laughs) to that point. Right. That Sam was terrible, but I was glad that someone else showed up at that point. Um, and I kind of wanted a little bit more from her. Uh, but what we got was good and she was important to the story and it it is what sort of pushed Sam over the edge at the end. So she was important in that way. I'm trying to puzzle out her, uh, the actor, actress's name. It's Golshifteh, G-O-L-S-H-I-F-T-E-H. Okay. That's how I would spell, I misspell Goldshifter if I was typing badly on the keyboard. Well, there, there there are some difficult names of people in this film, but they went with Sam and Sarah on screen, so that helps. Smart. In the English version, I don't know what they would have in, Fr- in the French version. version. Yeah. Probably <laughs> Sam and Sarah. I guess so. Why not, really? Why not? Yeah, it's good. Um, So the only other thing to talk about is the very end. I thought it was an extremely underwhelming climax. There was zero closure to this storyline, other than he gets out of the building, but... You know, I'm I'm wondering if they, the filmmakers, struggled a little bit to come up with a satisfying ending and decided to leave it the way they did. Well, when I see an ending like this, and there's been a bunch of movies that have ended like this, and I'm like, what the fuck? Why? Okay, so there's a 
there's there's two types of endings, or there's two endings that you can uh, that you have in in a in any kind of story. There's the logical ending, and then there's the moral ending, mm-hmm. right? So I was thinking the logical ending doesn't make any sense, other than this movie was basically Die Hard with zombies. But uh, wow, I mean that's a that's a <laughs> what happened at in Die Hard? It was building was taken over by. You know, enemies. Yes. Right? Yeah. Guy survives by doing various things and killing them every once in a while. And then he ends up tying some shit around his waist on the roof and jumping off. Mm. It's Die Hard. Okay, it's Die Hard. Die Hard. Put a Christmas zombies. tree in here. You got your cl- classic Christmas movie, Die Hard, uh, night, The Night Eats the World, uh, you know, double feature. Fair enough. But anyway, so I was thinking, uh, logically, this doesn't make any sense. And, and, the fact that he would jump off the roof and then slam into the the building next door the way he did just tied around his waist he he did like he didn't survive that he you can't survive that it'd be pretty opinion. tough i agree with that so but uh morally so i'm 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 my brain is now going to morally does this make any sense he escaped the building which was what his dream uh sarah told him to do like why the hell are you still here there's a world out there uh you have you know you draw drew all these zombies here this isn't safe anymore you have to get out he did get out he escaped the building he's injured as fuck but he did get out of the building he's on the building next door which is fine i mean you know baby steps yeah but uh so morally it makes more sense than logically Mm -hmm. so i accepted it i guess you're right he 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 came to a conclusion. He 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 decided on a goal. He he needed that push to to do something other than just stay there because eventually he would have run out of food and starved to death. Yeah. So so you're right. He gets across to the other building, and then he's on the roof, kind of not knowing what to do. And I think he hears some bells ringing, like church bells, maybe. Or did yeah. I did I imagine that? It's Santa Claus, I assume. Santa it's Claus. This Die Hard movie and you know, Christmas movies. So. Sure, Santa Claus, Santa Claus is coming. And and we cut the black, so it's pretty wildly open. That we don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, I accept your, you know, notion that it's a uh, proper sort of moral ending um, for him. Well, almost. I mean, that's that's what my brain. Right. Th- that's the only way way my brain could accept it because logically it didn't make any sense at all. Right. Exactly. But you know, logic can go out the window when you're under duress like he was, and ima- imagining people, you know, telling him to do things. So. Um, you know, logic didn't apply so much in this case, but, um, he gets out, he gets over there and we're done. So I'm, I'm a little curious as to what happens next, but at the same time, I think it's probably not anything good for him. He's in another building. So very likely he will barricade himself in that one. Yeah. I look forward to the sequel. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the night eats the world to the building next door. <laughs> yeah. This time it's next door. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so there you go. So as I said off the top, our friend in uh, in Texas, Adam, recommended this to me. He called it an amazing movie and he compared it to I Am Legend. And ultimately, I can really see that. The theme here is similar to I Am Legend. And, you know, Sam even expresses that at one point when he's talking to his friend Alfred the zombie in the elevator. He says, dead is the norm now. I'm the one who isn't normal. And that's kind of the I am legend thing, right? You know, I'm yep. now the unique one. I am legendary. So that was, this movie was I am legend in an apartment building. I can see that. And Die Hard. And obviously, and Die Hard. Um, yeah. You know, sort of practically it was Die Hard and thematically it was I am legend. 
Well, there you go. Now we look forward to a movie named uh, I Am Die Hard. I think that'd be great. I think the next Die Hard movie should be called that. I Am Die Hard. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Actually. Me too, a little bit. All right. So the night eats the world pretty cool, um, but you got to make your way through all of the tedium of him just sort of gathering food at the beginning. Uh, but check it out if you want a um, a little bit of a unique, slightly unique take on, on a zombie film. So that's uh, The Night Eats the World. Check it out. Okay. Our second film of the podcast is our New Year's Eve related movie, uh, because of course it is New Year's Eve right now. And when you listen to this, it'll be New Year's Day. And this movie is called Terror Train. It's from 1980 and it stars... Um, uh, Oh my God. Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. And David Copperfield. And David Copperfield. Yes. But mostly Jamie Lee Curtis. Terror Train. So I went looking for New Year's Eve movies and yeah. found some lists. And I thought, you know what? Here we go. Jamie Lee Curtis in 1980. It's a slasher flick on a train. It's post Halloween. So this is after she did Halloween. So she was known. She was already called the Scream Queen of the time. And I thought this might be fun. This might be a good movie to watch. It'll it's got Jamie Lee Curtis. It's got David Copperfield. It's a sort of um, fraternity uh, slasher flick involving kids in medical med school. Yeah. And what could possibly go wrong? Everything. It's yeah. a horrible movie. Everything. You, you thought, hey, this would be fun. It's not fun. <laughs> There's lots of fun slasher movies from the eighties. There are. This is not one of them. Well, here's the IMDb description. <laughs> Three years after a prank that went terribly awry, the six college students responsible are targeted by a masked killer at a New Year's Eve party aboard a moving train. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Come on. That sounds better than the uh, the Night Eats the World description. It does. It does. And here's the tagline for the movie. This is the best part of the whole thing, Jason. Oh, I didn't know about a tagline. The boys and girls of Sigma Phi. Some will live. Some will die. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is amazing. No wonder Jamie Lee Curtis signed on. Right. I like I, sent her the title. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm totally into this. I'm doing that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so this movie directed by someone named Roger Spottiswood, um, he's gone on to do some other things. Um, oh, the name like that, how could you not? Spottiswood, yeah. Uh, but this is really one of his first uh, first features, I think. And the thing was, I didn't know this at the time, but the movie was shot mostly in Quebec, so it's considered a Canadian oh. production. Nice. Exciting, isn't it? Right? For us? For us Canadians? Yeah. Canadian train. We like to feel, yeah, all that all that train, uh, you know, stock footage of the train going around on tracks, that was all Quebec. Nice. In the winter. Cold, cold Quebec. Yeah. I can't imagine it wouldn't be. Right. Okay, so this movie, it opens um, with the prank in question mentioned in the, uh, in the description, and <laughs> it's, it's cheesy and goofy, and the acting is weird, and the characters are stupid, but the prank itself, when you realize what's going on, and I didn't, watching it initially, I realized later on, uh, thinking back while I was watching the movie, the prank is horrific. It oh, is. it's absolutely horrifying. It, Why and illegal and uh, <laughs> there's like there's so many crimes. It's so many crimes, and yeah, absolutely everybody should be expelled and arrested. I agree, but but I I okay. So spoilers for the terror train. We're going to spoil this movie off the top, which yeah, it's kind of don't our see style. it. Just you know, no this this podcast would be better than the movie. Do see it. I say do see it. However, That's wrong the, <laughs> the prank involves. 
a bunch of med students tricking another one of the students into going up to a room at a beach party, like in the beach house nearby. Yep. And on the premise that there's a girl up there that wants to have sex with him. Have You've lived in the 70s, right? Not for very long. For, Not for very long, but you you grew up in the 80s? I did. If anybody ever said, there's a girl upstairs who wants to have sex with you, go into this room. As soon as you get in there, take off all your clothes and get into bed. <laughs> yeah. Any red flags there? Oh, I don't think I would do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dead body, not dead body. It don't matter. The red flags, the ding, the brain is supposed to be ding, 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 ding. Hey, this is a prank, dickhead. But drunk, I mean, that plays a big factor in things like that. But at that point, uh, you get undressed there and then go upstairs. Desperate for right? sex. I mean, that. <laughs> I made... really, I'm really drunk. I'm really horny. If there's a girl upstairs that wants to have sex with me. I will disrobe at the moment. I would just like, that's it. I'm going to be naked for the next little while. So let's do this thing. <laughs> Why not take your clothes off around the campfire on the beach and then go upstairs? Exactly. That's the Jason Miles style of doing it. Yeah, that's that's what Jason did. Uh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> well, um, yes, as it turns out, he gets up there, gets into bed, and it's a corpse in the bed with him. Like a rotting corpse, not even a medical student corpse, like a rotting corpse they dug up out of the ground. Uh, well, This is not a cadaver. I think it's a cadaver, but either way, it's a dead human being, not just like a a mannequin, which I thought it was at first. Right. No, dead, yeah, it's a, it's a dead person. So it's a horrifying prank, and this kid loses his shit and— Yeah, twirls. Yeah. Just his, twirls and twirls and twirls and twirls. I thought he was going to hang himself is the problem. It, it, the, his reaction was weird. I thought the same thing. I thought he was going to get stuck up in all the— um, uh, I don't know, Bunting? curtain, what do you curtains call it? around curtains? the bed. It was one of those curtained bed or whatever. It's like a net to keep out bugs? Was that, <laughs> was that the thing? <laughs> it was a bug net, yeah. I thought he was going to hang himself in the bug net as well, but he didn't. Uh, everyone thinks it's hilarious, and they cut to three years later when we're getting ready for this New Year's party on a train, and it's the yeah. same group of kids except for the kid who was the victim of the prank. So, And costumes. Why, why costumes on New Year's Eve? Is that a thing? I think it's it might a be thing. a thing. I think it's a thing. That's I think the thing. costumes, yeah, everyone's dressed up. You never know. Well, I mean, you usually do know who's who, but there's a lot of masks in this film, um, and they play an important part, the costumes. You've had Halloween parties, right? I've been to your Halloween parties, so I know the answer is yes. You've been to Halloween parties and you've hosted Halloween parties? Correct. Have you ever gone to a Halloween party wearing a mask? Well, personally, Rubber, no, plastic, it, it happens. It ha people do that. They often they do take they them. wear the mask all night? Uh, not usually. No, you don't. But they get drunk. The mask comes off, and then usually everybody gets undressed. Neither That's where parties go right, <laughs> right in your universe. <laughs> neither did the people in this movie, though. Like the guy with the, the 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 had the bird costume on, whatever it was. He had his mask up most of the time. Yeah, but the, like that one guy that got killed in the bathroom, and then they <laughs> cleaned up after it. Uh, and got all the blood off of everything, even the body. Um, <clears throat> uh, he had his mask on, and then, well, he, so, sorry, the killer put on the mask, mm -hmm. the costume, and then his girlfriend was like, come into the bed now, and uh, he had his mask on and everything. It's just like, that's normal that somebody would wear their entire, you know, rubber suit all night long, even getting into bed with your girlfriend? It, look, it's ridiculous. Look, the masks I'm, were used. No, I don't think it is. The masks were used. Um, 
the masks were used by the killer, right? He would kill someone and then put on their costume. So he kept changing who he was, which allowed him to move through this train easier, yeah. obviously, right? Um, and he didn't <laughs> clean up all the blood with the first guy he killed in, in the bathroom because when the train conductor, who had a weirdly large part in this movie... Well, he had the big thing on his head that said conductor. Well, that's how you know right? he's the conductor. <laughs> yeah. And then the brake man had the same hell, same hat with like brakeman on it. I know. Fucking train driver should have had a train driver hat. What are they called? Engineers. Engineers whatever. Yeah. Uh, train he captain. He probably did. <laughs> train conductor captain. comes in though and finds the body and the blood before the killer has swapped and put on that costume and then yep. comes back later and has cleaned up, but not entirely because he reaches like underneath the shelf or whatever and finds more blood on his hands. So he tried to clean up, but what he did was he took on the persona or the costume of the person he killed, which he did with the first one too, that he killed outside the train before they even got on. Yeah, right. Um, that's the premise of the film though. Um, the killer is putting on the costumes of the people he kills and he is going through and taking out these students on this train. Um, so David Copperfield is here as well. He plays a magician. He's, the, okay. So yes, he plays a magician. He serves. An illusionist. Yeah. In on IMDb, he's called the magician. He serves as the prime red herring for this film. Is he the killer? Is he not? He's the one sort of new character that we didn't see at the beginning. No. Primarily. It's a super ugly assistant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. <laughs> We'll get there. We'll, we'll, get, we'll there. get there, yeah. Uh, but he does a lot of magic in this film, and I like magic, and I enjoyed watching the, the magic show. So I was wondering, is this a... Was David Copperfield, you know, hired to portray uh, a magician who is actually an illusionist in this movie, or was this a David Copperfield-produced vehicle in order to promote his uh, live show? No, it was not a David Copperfield field produced vehicle he was hired to be the magician in this i read that he was brought in very late apparently the magician character was not there in the original version of this script and and maybe even when they started filming parts of it but they added him to basically be that red herring right so he came in late and was asked to perform a bunch of magic in the film to add that sort of magic element to it, I suppose, and be like, hey, there's a magician. He's weird. Why is he around? Who hired him? Remember? They, no one remembers, remembers who who hired him for this party on the train. Yeah, he's just he's he's just part of the train. Yeah, he, he just com comes with the train. Right, he comes with the train. When you rent <laughs> a train for a party, which has got to be expensive, uh, he comes with it. Yeah. Uh, has David Copperfield always been that creepy? Um, He's always been creepy, but he's way creepier as a young man than he is as a older gentlemen such as now i mean illusionists are creepy in general yep don't you find that i find that a little bit i mean they're illusionists That's i've known some illusion i've known some very very good illusionists we've hired some uh when i was back in the at the booking agency for family entertainment we hired some f Im immensely fabulous illusionists mm -hmm. i can think of a couple even uh one that was uh was young he was only like 14 at the time we first started hiring him Absolutely amazing illusion. His close-up magic is is amazing. And David Copperfield, one of the first illusions he does is put the cigarettes through the quarter. Mm -hmm. I've seen that trick live. It's fucked up. How the hell does he do that? I have no idea. It's a cool trick. It's a it's a cool trick. The floating lady trick uh, was laughably bad. It was bad. 
<laughs> well, listen, the floating lady bit was fine. The way he put the loop not really around her was yeah. was the bad part. Well, that's how they, that's, okay, first of all, they have the, the sequence curtains, right? So you can have a bar that goes up, that rises up, that doesn't disturb the curtains, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just basically uh, strings of things that you can easily put a bar in and nobody will notice it. But the bar is usually an S bar, right? So that you can actually move the, uh, uh, move the loop what it looks like almost all the way across the uh, the floating person, turn it around and come back, and you can do the weave this thing over the S bar and get the loop over. This was just a bar. <laughs> the loop was so big, it was horrible. Well, way to this ruin em- magic for everybody. <laughs> it was this was embarrassing for David Copperfield. He must have been like so shamed that he had to do it this way because they probably went, no, we're on a train or filming on this small set. You can't have a an S bar. You can only have a straight bar. Uh, and he's like, well, I'm going to need a, a, a friggin' loop that's 40 feet wide. It's like, okay, fine. We'll find you one. Mm-hmm. We'll get you 40 feet wide. And it's just, uh, he must have gone home that day and just hung his head in shame and cried into his, well, I assume, you know, crystal goblet with uh, filled with gold. Probably, yes. They probably paid a lot for him to go and do this thing, right? So uh, It was early in his career. I don't know if he was that even well-known yet, but... He, well, he, that's why I was thinking this might be a vehicle for him, right? Yeah, this was no. a, hey, I've got, you know, I can make the Statue of Di- Liberty disappear. That was David Copperfield, wasn't it? Um, maybe. I know that's a thing. Wasn't Doug I, Henning, I can tell you that. No, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I get them confused sometimes. He was known at the time, but I, he wasn't the, like, magic, you know, juggernaut that he is now. But, um, you know what? There was more magic in this movie than I thought there would be. Uh, he did a lot of tricks in it. But I thought most of them were pretty good. But, yeah, that, that loop thing over the floating woman was pretty bad. Um, but oh, he's so much better looking now that he's older. See, good lord, he, he's he's sixty two years old. He looks fantastic. Grew, he grew in. He aged well. He grew into himself. He was goofy looking back then. Um, but the the point of this was just to have a mysterious guy who's a magician who everyone is like, oh, he must be the murderer. He's the new guy, right? And even the characters believe that for most of the film. So, yeah, no, uh, it's never the illusionist. It's always the assistant. It's always the assistant, yeah. It's always the assistant. You always have to keep your eye on the assistant. That's why they're there, that right? Is why. To distract you from the illusionist. But in this case, it was the illusionist distracting you from the assistant, which is kind of funny. There you go. It's a twist. <laughs> okay. Sort That's of. the only good thing about this movie. Uh, well, listen, I think that the first 45 minutes or so didn't really grab me, but after that, the movie got better for me. Uh, it took way too long to get going, to set things up. The whole thing was full of bad dialogue and, and goofy acting, even from Jamie Lee Curtis, although she was the least of the offenders in that regard, I think. I think everyone else was way worse. Worse, But the, the second half of the film, um, I actually kind of got into it a little bit. Once I, nah. Yeah, once I sort of became comfortable with who these characters were, and by that I just mean that I could sort of recognize them on screen and be like, oh, that's Doc, that's whoever, you know, whatever. Yeah, did they all have signs on their head like the conductor? No. Because that makes it very handy to tell who's who. It does. Yeah, but wearing a hat with your fucking name on it. Yeah, of course. But they, the rest of the kids didn't have that. They all had costumes on. Um, but I found myself starting to get into it a little bit. I was invested in Jamie Lee Curtis's survival. I, I wanted to find out how this was all going to play out. It wasn't the worst thing in the world for me, at least for the second half. Um and and I kind of dug it by the end. Hmm. 
I, <laughs> I'm envious. Yeah, no. I, this was fucking torture from beginning to end. No, I, I think it was okay. It was a weird movie tonally. Again, this was mostly at the beginning. Um, the characters, you know, as I said, they're walking around in costumes, but sometimes they they were they'd be all over the place like near the beginning there's a scene where there's the one guy who's dressed in the bird outfit yeah and he exits a scene by speaking kind of as if he's a bird he goes quack i'll get you for this one doc that kind of thing and then turns around immediately and totally seriously goes i mean it this time and i'm like what are you the bird are you the villain are who are you just a kid like who are you what are you doing there so that was weird like that but that's the thing the acting was all over the place um and none none of these characters except maybe jamie lee curtis are really likable in any way. They're all, they're callous and they have no likable personality traits. Most of them. Yep. A lot of that stems from this horrifying prank they pull on this, this kid at the beginning, but they're, they're just not nice, real. No, they're horrible human beings and they all deserve to be murdered on a train. And most of them were. Yeah. (laughs) So you can feel okay about that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what happened. Sort of midway point or maybe at the, the final third, the last act, I kind of got into it. I enjoyed Jamie Lee Curtis being chased around the train by this killer. And the scene where she's stuck in the in the um, the engine, the front car, where there's that caged off little That's area. Back. Is that the back? That's the back of the train. That's the caboose. Okay, well, we're fine. She's stuck in the caboose. Brakeman's at the back. The engineers are at the front. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Anyways, there's a caged off area in that car. She gets stuck in there and the killer's outside trying to poke a, a stick or a big rod, like a giant crowbar it looked like. Yeah, it's like the, yeah, totally. That's the way to get into that cage. Shit, that's a terrifying thing. It's like, what good is the cage if he's got a friggin' crowbar that he can either poke you or rip the door open? Like an eight foot crowbar. Like the thing was massive. Yeah, but you know what? It was no protection for her. Luckily, she found that thing where you put the receipts on. Exactly. Um, The killer was a little bit unkillable because I'm pretty sure she jammed that thing into the side of his head and he kept going. Yeah. But you know what? He's a slasher. He's a, he's a killer in a slasher flick. They are unkillable. Usually they're supernatural in this case. He wasn't, but. Well, that's why I thought he was going to die in the first scene where he uh, was twirling, twirling, twirling. And he did the same thing at the end, but he did the twirling. I figured he'd be dead and then come back from the dead uh, and kill everybody on the train. I thought he was going to be the train. I was like, that he is the terror train. Whoa. I was so excited about the movie at the beginning. Well, <laughs> it didn't play out that way. So anyways, as you've just revealed, the killer is the kid who they pulled the prank on at the end. So no big surprise for me. Like, that's not a twist ending. No, they set it up. This guy's the killer. I mean, have we seen too many? This was 1980, right? Maybe, but uh, like, isn't that the obvious choice? Like, you'd think- He is now, but in 1980, he might not have been. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Okay, maybe not, maybe not. Um. So he's the killer and ultimately they have a big battle at the end and he gets kicked out the door of the train as they go over a bridge and falls to his death into the river below, which I thought was a fun way to kill the killer. But not by the survivor girl. She opens the door. She opens the door and then the conductor smashes him with a shovel. I was a little bit disappointed that Jamie Lee Curtis didn't step up and, uh, be the one to to end this thing. She had to be saved in the end, which bothered me. Yeah, I can see that. She should have taken one big kick and pushed and kicked him out the door or something like that. But yeah. I don't even know if she went down the birth canal. I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. 
Well, you know, the, the, the hallway where the bunk beds were with all the curtains hanging felt like a birth canal a little bit. Everybody went down the birth canal then. Everybody did, true. I mean, it is a train. The whole thing is a birth yeah, canal. Yeah, the whole is a phallic friggin' movie from beginning <laughs> to end. Terror train is basically a penis. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but... Um, Die hard with a penis. Uh, can, no. I, can I make everything in a diehard? No, I don't probably, think so. Probably. Not, not. If it happens in a single location, it's diehard. <laughs> I don't think so. I can't. Yeah, it's 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 a stretch with this one. I don't think this one is diehard, no. Um. So anyways, yeah, I thought it was. Oh, what I was going to say is when she's stuck in that caged area in the caboose of the train, um, it, it comes shortly after you see... Uh, the magician doing that like knife into the box thing where someone gets into a box and you put a bunch of swords in it and you end up yep. not stabbing them. Yep. It was like a real life-size version of that. She's stuck in this box and the guy puts this eight foot crowbar through, through the, you know, the caged area. I thought that yep. was a cool little bit of symmetry and stuff. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. that was I can, fun. I can concede that point. Right. Um, did but, you like the irony of the uh, the the woman who had a costume that she was just wearing a pair of pants and that the pants fell down and you just saw her boobs? <laughs> irony. I don't know if that's irony, but I did <laughs> I did enjoy that. Yes, I think that was funny. I think that was a great dress. It was a dress that looked like a pair of pants up around her armpits. It was hilarious. Oh, I didn't know it was a dress. I thought it was just a really comically large pair of pants. No, I think it was I think it was a dress designed to look that way. So it was Oh, a, that's a fantastic costume. Isn't it? I know. <laughs> I'm gonna go with that for Halloween next year. You totally shouldn't. <laughs> get a, she had like a severed hand sticking out of the top of it too, because yeah, yeah. you know, it's New Year's, not Halloween. <laughs> it's probably a yeah. real human hand. Probably a real hand. Knowing these people, it's a real hand. Yeah. Um but I mean, that's the whole point of her wearing that pair of pants dresses so that her pants could fall down and expose herself. I mean, this is an 80s slasher flick after all. Almost. Almost. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I think it missed the mark on the 80s slasher thing just a little bit. Like Survivor Girl didn't go down an obvious birth canal. She didn't, uh, you know, give the killing blow. Like, uh, oh, we got some nudity. That was a pretty slasher thing. Yeah. Like, or almost. at least, you know teenage sex or college sex or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like brief moments of nudity. Yeah. That's slasher, right? That's that. I'm, that. I'm not a aficionado of slasher movies. I've only seen like a handful. Well, those, those, those are all elements. Yeah. Um, let's wrap this up here with what Roger Ebert had to say on this film. And I think he agrees with you mostly Jason, but he, you know, puts it very well because he was Roger Ebert. He says, quote, the classic horror films of the 1930s, appealed to the intelligence of its audience, to the sense to their sense of humor and irony. Movies like Terror Train and all of its sordid predecessors and its ripoffs still to come just don't care. They're a series of sensations strung together on a plot. Any plot will do. Just don't forget the knife and the girl and the blood. <laughs> He's such a genius. He was. He was. He was a genius. I, I just thought that was really well written. Uh, I don't entirely agree with it because I don't think this is just any plot. It is clearly a revenge story that is kind of well thought out, in my opinion. Um, horrible prank gone wrong, comes back to get revenge, makes sense to me, um, if extremely simplistic. Um, but overall, Ebert didn't like the movie. You didn't like the movie, and I thought the second half was okay. Yeah, I did not like the movie. Did you, ever, did you see the, what movie I did like? Was There was a documentary about the end of uh, Robert, Roger Ebert's life. Ever see that? Oh no, I heard about that, but I have not seen it. No, very, very good movie, fantastic movie. 
Well, he was great. I mean, I used to watch him and Siskel on that TV show they had reviewing movies. I loved that show. And uh, to this day, I still go to his site once in a while and read reviews and things like that. So smart guy, knew what he was talking about, died too young. Die Too Young, and what I really appreciated about that documentary, if I might go on in the slight aside here for sure. a, a moment, is that uh, he had a perspective on his death that I had never heard before. Uh, it really kind of resonated with me. Um, he was sick for a while, and he was in the hospital, and uh, he was talking about um, you know people that die suddenly uh, with an illness or because of some other reason or people that get sick and then end up in the hospital and die. It's like, which, which is worse. I like this way because this way I can become, I can come to terms with my death instead of uh, it just happening all of a sudden. And there's no chance to actually think about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it really kind of resonated with me. It was a a really, really good documentary. I I don't know what it's called. I didn't know you were going to quote Ebert, so I didn't prepare, but uh, yeah, go search it out, find it, watch it. Okay, I might have to do that because he's Instead a... of this stupid train movie. <laughs> I really don't think people should watch this movie. <laughs> I mean, if you're a uh, if you're a, a aficionado of oh, 80s slasher flicks... Oh, if you are, flicks, you probably already know about it. You've probably. watched all of Jamie Lee Curtis and her, uh, her queen of screams. What's it called? Scream queen? Scream queen. Scream queen. Uh, I've never seen... This is the first uh, horror movie I've ever seen her in. I've never seen anything else that she's been in that's been a horror movie. No Halloween? I've never seen Halloween. And you obviously didn't see the remake of Halloween from list this year. No. Okay. I saw True Lies. That's not a horror movie, but she was in that. It's true. It's along with <laughs> Trading Places. I saw that. Okay. Yeah. Well, you so you know who she is. I do know who she is. Um, Freaky Friday. I've seen that. With uh, uh, Lindsay Lohan, right? Yeah, that one. Well, you what's, have- What's worse? Uh, this one. This one's worse. This one's worse than the first one with Jodie Foster. Well, you've missed out on some um, Jamie Lee Curtis back catalog, I would say. Uh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Missed out. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Anyways, um, that's going to do it. Two movie reviews. Happy New Year, everyone. Go watch Terror Train if you've got nothing else to do tonight or some other uh, some other um, New Year's Eve movie. Uh, and we'll be back later on in a couple of weeks with more uh, as we lead up into, you know, the rest of The Walking Dead Season 9, which doesn't come back until the first week of the second week of February. So we got a little mm-hmm. time yet. Little I will bit. be 44 by then because my birthday comes at the end of January. Super duper. I know. So I got to get I through f- that first. It was a little weird only watching movies once. Yeah. I got to say, I feel like I need to watch all the movies that we watch, uh, that we talk about on this show for uh, five times. Well. Except for Terror Train. I don't think I could sit through that again. You're I'm glad I watched it once before we talked about it. Right. Because if you'd I forgotten, would've... we would have applied the five time rule and boy, would yeah, you have not been happy. That would have been. Absolute hell. Maybe I would have liked it. I mean, uh, The Accidental Husband, bad movie, but by the end of it, I was, I'm, I'm totally, it's totally in my uh, uh, comfort movie catalog now. You'll never. Oh, that makes me feel nice. I mean, it's an inconsistent bad movie, but you know, if I have to watch it five times, maybe. Okay. Well. I'll try. Good, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to try. That's a lie. I'm lying right now. Don't, don't try. You don't need to. Don't worry. All right. So like I said, we'll be back in uh, a week or two with more. But until then, if you want to visit our website, you can do that at TalkingDeadPodcast.com. There's a send voicemail link up on the top there. If you have something to say about one or both of these movies or really anything, uh, click that and record a message and it'll get sent right to us. You can also contact us on 
of Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. And you can send email to Talking Dead Podcast at gmail.com. So thanks for listening to our movie reviews. Thanks to Don in Wisconsin for pointing out that Battlestar Galactica podcast for Jason. Yeah, thank and, you. And thanks to a uh, friend of the show, Adam in Texas, for the recommendation on The Night Eats the World. Um, stay tuned for a very brief after hours coming up after this. But uh, otherwise, thank you so much, everyone. We'll see you next time. Until then, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Happy New Year! Ah, hello. I'm sorry I didn't see you there. Please, come in. Chris and Jason have just popped off to change into something a little more comfortable. You know what those boys are like. Please, sit down. Help yourself to a drink. And welcome to the Talking Dead after hours all right jason i have a very brief uh after hours to talk about here before we then me, then me. wrap things up then you too all right then me yeah all right we got a small one we got double we got double maybe they're the same thing we don't know maybe we doubt it. <laughs> okay well when conceiving of this podcast and reviewing movies i was unaware that there would be new black mirror available Oh, um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so... I didn't watch it. I just saw that it existed. Right, and I haven't watched it yet either. That's why we did not talk about it today on the podcast. But I do want to do a show about the new Black Mirror film on Netflix Netflix called Bandersnatch. And um, I wasn't aware that it was coming out when we were deciding to do this and choosing what we would, we would review. So we will leave that for another week or two uh, until we can get around to watching that and getting some thoughts together on it. But the interesting thing about Black Mirror Bandersnatch is that this is an interactive film, Mr. Miles. So I have to yell at the screen. I yell at the TV anyway. Does that make all shows interactive for me? Maybe, but this is directly interactive, meaning the viewer gets to make choices as they are watching this film Choose your own adventure? It affects the outcome of the movie. It is a choose your own adventure movie. How does Netflix do that? It's magic. It's like David Copperfield got into my iPad somehow. Exactly. Well, it's interesting you mention iPads because you cannot watch this on the Apple TV, but you can watch it on your computer or your iOS devices or your Android devices because the the Netflix app on Apple TV does not support the interactive elements of this. So if you try to watch it there, you get a trailer instead with a voiceover that says, we're sorry, you have to watch this on a device that supports the interactive blah, blah, blah. And then you get an email that says, we noticed you tried to watch this on a device unsupported. So it goes on. Wow. Um, I'm afraid your inter- I'm afraid your television is obsolete. Please throw it away. Pretty much. Although... Apparently, modern smart TVs with Netflix will support this. So um, it's too bad because I kind of want a new TV, but can't justify the cost. You want right a new now. TV? You just got a new TV. I've you've, no, I've got my, I, my TV's older than yours, and I don't think it's an old TV. My TV is eight years old, and I want a new ultra thin OLED TV. God, are they beautiful? Okay, mine is a crappy old 1080p, eight year old. Uh, 52 inch which is nice it looks good i'm i'm happy with it it's just it's not an oled and i got a 12 year old 47 inch that weighs like 13.7 tons and i hung it on the wall and it was hard 
and uh, I'm worried that it'll fall off and kill my son. So you need a new TV that weighs like half a pound, and if it fell on him, he probably wouldn't even notice. Oh, what's that? That's your new interactive blanket. <laughs> exactly. Just put it up on the wall. Yeah. Anyways, um, Bandersnatch from Black Mirror. I'm really looking forward to watching this, checking it out. It'll be fun because you and I, in theory, will get different outcomes from watching it, and then we can talk about it on here and see where that goes. But in general, Jason, I wanted to just ask you what you thought about this whole idea of an interactive you know, viewer chooses the direction of the movie kind of concept. Is this something you're you're interested in that you hope they do more of? Or are you like me and think it's a little bit weird? Why not just tell the story that you're going to tell and let us watch it? Well, it depends on the execution. I mean, in theory, it could be interesting. I enjoy a nice novel. Novels are not interactive unless you want to throw it or burn it or do whatever you want. Don't burn all the copies of it because that's censorship. But if you want to burn your copy of it, you're perfectly welcome to do so. Uh, books are like that. But then I also really enjoyed Choose Your Own Adventure. So did um, I as a kid. The uh, the initial uh, original author of that uh, thought of doing that because his kids, uh, when he was telling them bed, bedtime stories, got bored of just listening to stories. So he, he would ask the kids, uh, what do you think would happen next? And they would come up with an idea and he'd move on to the story from there. He's like, hey, that'd be an interesting way to write down a story is to have the kids be able to choose what they want. So uh, in theory, I like the idea. I like video games. Video games are interactive storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, even though a lot of times I uh, don't pay attention to the story and I run around trying to collect flags, which is not really a story. It's more of a collection exercise, which I like collecting things. So uh-huh. it's virtual collecting, you know, it scratches that itch for me. Sure. It's just that scratch, scratches it. No, I got it right. But uh, so interactive movies and television, at least I don't have to email Netflix with what I think the next step should be and have to wait like 30 seconds in order to get a response and then move forward. <laughs> yeah. So as, it depends on the execution, right? Okay. If you have to like, you know, they're airing a movie on television and uh, at the bottom of the screen, if you think John should do this, call this number. If you think John should do this, call this other number. And then you have to wait for a bunch of people to make telephone calls to find out who uh, votes for what's the, what the best option is. And then you get to see what the masses want instead of what you want. That's bad execution. Terrible. Right? It's a good idea. Horrible execution. So mm-hmm. it all depends on the execution. I want to try it. I'm looking forward to it. I think that... Um, Black Mirror is a fantastic way of doing this because Black Mirror is all about, you know, how this kind of thing can go wrong. Technology, So I think right. that, that that that's method of storytelling probably plays into uh, into this. So they're leaning in the, the technology, the, the, uh, the execution, and the type of story that they want to tell is probably blended together really nicely. So I'm looking forward to it, but... I'll have to reserve whether this is a good idea and all movies should do this until after I see it. Fair enough. I, I'm kind of on your side, although I'm a little more hesitant about this. Part of me is just like, I just want to sit down. I want to watch it. I want you to come up with a good story that is stands on its own and I'm, I'm, I'm going to experience it. Um, but I'm open. You just want to sit there and interact with your beer and your crunch and munch. Uh, sure, exactly. And, and, Do you eat and, crunch and munch? I haven't had that in a long time. I don't even know what it is, but I, I get the it's idea. It's like caramel popcorn with nuts and stuff. Isn't that? It's like uh, Cracker Jacks. Oh, okay. Not as fancy. 
Isn't that what they call Chicago-style popcorn? It's like a mix of cheese and caramel corn or something like that. I like that. I don't know what this Chicago-style popcorn you speak of. Oh, God, you and I come from very different places. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Anyways, I'm open to the idea of this, and like you, I'm looking forward to trying it out. Uh, Black Mirror is one of my favorite shows, so I will, you know, there's no way I would miss this. Um, but I'm a little skeptical. We'll see. I'm curious, and uh, I do think we should do a podcast on it in the next couple of weeks. Sure. That's a good idea. I'm looking forward to it now. I didn't know it was interactive. I'm going to, um, there goes my afternoon. All right. Good. You just, watch it five times, get five different movies. You will. You will. And, and I recommend you do that because there's no way I'm going to just watch this once. I will watch it once, make my decisions, but I'm sure I can see myself playing around a little bit and yeah, making different calls and things like that. It's not like a video game where you have to play 40, not that video games are 40 hours nowadays, but play 40 hours and then go, I wonder what would happen if I made a magician instead of a smash and bash guy. Well, the Walking Dead video game is a perfect example from Telltale, right? You make decisions that affects the outcome of the game and the path of the story. I've never gone back and replayed, or maybe I did once, but you you, you had multiple playthroughs. You had uh, I remember you would tell you were talking about having the playthrough where you made the decisions that you wanted, that you felt in your heart were the right. right decisions, and then you had another playthrough where you just made decisions uh, in order to. I'm not sure exactly what yeah. you were doing. Were you trying to be evil? Were you, you know? Were you dabbling in the dark side there a little bit? Maybe I was. I, I, uh, you're right though. I think for the original season, the first release, I did it a couple of times to try different things, but that was only because I was real excited about it and I wanted to talk about it here a little bit more. I never did that again after that. I just played the rest of the games once through, made the decisions I made, and that was it, and kept going. So. Um, with this though, you know, it's an hour and a half movie or whatever, and you have all kinds of different outcomes. So I can see myself watching this a few times and making different decisions, but we'll see how that goes. We'll get into it and we'll do a podcast about that in the coming weeks. Cause I think it'll be fun. That's a good idea. I like it. I'm looking forward to it. Very good. Anything else before we go? Yeah, I had some, uh, this has to do with Christmas and it, had to do with my son's experience of Christmas. This was, he's two, right? Two and a half almost. Uh-huh. And so this is his last year. He didn't know what the fuck Christmas was. A year before he was barely aware that we had a tree, right? Mm-hmm. So this is his first Christmas where he knew what Santa was, who Santa was. And we went to the San- see Santa and he asked for a big, big Thomas train. And then uh, he asked him again when he saw him again, because we, you know, we ran into him in Toys R Us and we went to the mall and uh, and then he got a big, big Thomas train. So he's very excited about uh, his uh, his Christmas experience. Okay. Uh, the problem was that on Christmas Eve, we're telling him Santa's coming tonight. He started to get worried. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what if Santa doesn't come? And it's because every single television show, movie, story, everything about Santa Claus, Santa, the Christmas is in danger and somebody has to save Christmas. Yep. Everyone. Every single one. Christmas doesn't never just happens, and it's a good thing. It's always in peril. And so his first experience with Christmas was that he's worried about Santa because he's always in trouble. and Somebody needs to save him, and what if nobody, sa- nobody saves Christmas? It's an interesting uh, conundrum to be in, and one I never yeah. really considered before for children. Me neither. So this is the first experience I had thinking about this. It's like, shit, there's nothing out there, even Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's a fucking foggy night. We can't go anywhere. But luckily, we got this freak of nature that has a glowing nose for some reason and can fly. Right. Can help us out. Yeah. Well, right? I mean, on the- Elf? 
Uh, Elf has Santa, but you know the Christmas sleigh can't fly because nobody believes in Santa Claus. Uh, every single movie, television show, everything, somebody has to save Christmas. Right. Well, you know, I mean, on the bright side, they always do. They do, but, you know. It seeds that what if they don't into little kids that, oh my God, what if they don't? <laughs> what if they don't? What if they don't save Christmas? It's interesting. How can I help? Do I need to get up in the middle of the night and save Christmas? That's interesting. Um, I have two things to say. Number one, you're absolutely right. I was down at the Toronto Second City on the weekend with the kids to see their like family friendly Christmas comedy musical. And, right. And that whole thing revolves around Christmas being in jeopardy and somebody having to save Christmas. <laughs> yeah. It was funny and I recommend it and it was great for the kids, but you're right. The same theme was there that Christmas was in trouble and someone had to do something about it. So that's really interesting. Okay. There's an exception. I have one exception. I found out, I just thought about it in my head. Jasper has a book. Um, up on the rooftop, click, 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 here comes old St. Nick, that's that song. He has a book with the lyrics to that. Up on the rooftop, reindeer paws, here comes good old Santa Claus. Right? Beautiful. So I sing that to him, and uh, it, I was going through the, the book. Nothing bad happens. Santa comes, he drops off a bunch of toys for uh, Nick and Nell, and, you know, some tax, <laughs> hammer and some tax for a kid. Like, come on, Santa, you're giving a kid a hammer and some tax? Well, come on. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know how old uh, Nick is, or not Nick, but uh, Nell, or whatever his name is, but he might be 20, right? Uh-huh. So they never sh- they never really say. But that's the only story, but it's based on a song where uh, everything's fine. Right. Well, you know what? I think The Night Before Christmas, the, the poem, I, yep. don't, I, I think that's, that's one where nothing goes wrong. Nothing goes wrong there, too. He loves that. He can pretty much, uh, Jasper can pretty much recite that story verbatim now good last year before he even knew what christmas was you could say the sentence and he would always he knew what the last word was of that sentence through the whole story this year he can pretty much recite the whole thing from memory well that's great that's great so see you're you're exposing him to the uh to the the non-christmas peril okay stuff as well that's good you're doing okay yeah nightmare the nightmare before christmas that Christmas was in peril there, but uh, the night before Christmas, except for the uh, the two lines, there's two lines that use the word corsairs. Uh-huh. There's uh, there's corsairs, they came, and then there's corsairs, they flew. He gets those confused because the same word is used in two different stanzas. Right. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I didn't say anything, Siri. Shut up. She thought you did. Um, she did. The, the one other thing I wanted to say on this topic before we finish it up is... Um, it's funny, my kids never, to my knowledge, had that problem. Um, they are beyond any of that now, but uh, they never, they were never worried that Christmas wouldn't come. My kids were weird. They were sometimes worried that Santa would come, and they get a, they were a little freaked out about someone coming into our house at night yeah. and being downstairs while they're asleep. Um, and like, what if for some reason they ran into him in the night, you know, it would be scary. And they worried about that sort of thing, which I thought was strange because I never did, but uh, they were more concerned that Santa would come than wouldn't come. Well, having a, you know, anybody come into your house in the middle of the night and leave things, that's a, take things, that's one thing. Sure. (laughs) Upsetting for a whole other reason. (laughs) But yeah, I, I knew that about your kids. I remember you mentioning that to me and I had an answer just in case Jasper uh, thought of that, I had an answer all prepared. We know Santa. 
we've we've met him a couple of times uh once in the mall once at toys r us we've seen him a few times Mm -hmm. we know who he is we've invited him oh see that makes perfect sense he's uh he's a vampire as long as he's invited he's allowed yeah he's he's a friend of the family we know he's coming we've asked him to come we've left him some cookies and stuff because he's probably going to be working late Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, we may not, may or may not be up. So we've left him the cookies and the carrots and the, and the milk and stuff. So, uh, he's been invited. So I was all prepared for an answer for that. Cause I know that your kids, uh, uh, went through that, that fear one Christmas with that, you know, <laughs> what that guy's coming into the house. Yeah. Are you crazy? <laughs> like, whose idea was this? Come on. Uh, yeah. And when, you know, once they were a little older, I told them that as long as you leave a little whiskey for Santa, he doesn't like milk as much. He likes whiskey. Um, Everything will be fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Santa doesn't like whiskey in our house. <laughs> no. He likes coffee in your house. Yeah. Please. Coffee. Double, double. I mean, he needs to be, he needs to, you know, stay That's aw- a great idea. We left the milk this year. Next year, we're leaving him coffee. There you go. It's fantastic. <laughs> Perfect. All right. That's going to do it. Uh, we'll be back in a little while with something about Black Mirror, I think. Until then, everyone, we'll see you next time. <laughs>